This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. There comes a point in everyone's life where we have to decide whether to play it safe or risk it for the biscuit. Knowing what moves to make gets doubly complicated when you throw in societal expectations and your family's influence. That's why I'm so thrilled to be talking to our next guest, Vanessa Pham. As the daughter of Vietnamese immigrants, Vanessa has always wrestled with the tension of choosing the safe, easy path or dreaming a little deeper for more. While she's excelled on the traditional path by studying at Harvard University and securing coveted corporate roles, her desire to become a thought leader and affect change remarkably led her to build a company that's aligned with her values. Now, Vanessa is the proud co-founder of Oxtel, the first by the community, for the community, modern Asian food brand based in New York City. By reimagining the international food category, Vanessa hopes to weave cross-cultural empathy into the fabric of American society. I'm so excited to talk to Vanessa today about how she broke free from the expectations she'd placed on herself, her advice to new founders, and how we can get more in touch with our values. For those of you who haven't yet, Make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these amazing millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Vanessa Fan. Vanessa. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I'm really excited. It's my first podcast. So (laughs) I love it. Yay. Hopefully we have the best time. I love that. Great. So, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and we soon realized that we had a mutual connection um, being Alexa Buckley and and Sarah Pearson, two of my very first podcast guests. That's amazing. Two years ago now. So Uh it's it's such a small world. We're, We're so excited to have you on. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I think it's so amazing that you know them. I actually went to school with them and we're good friends in school. So yeah, two amazing female entrepreneurs that I really admire for sure. I love that. I love it. Great. So for those of us who don't know, you know, who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. For sure. Yeah. So um, my name is Vanessa. I am a Vietnamese American. I'm from Boston originally, and now I'm based out of New York City. 
I am the CEO and co-founder of Oxtail, and we're a modern Asian food brand, and we're kind of reimagining what Asian pantry staples can be. Um, We are a by-the-community-for-the-community Asian food brand, so I can explain what that means. But yeah, basically we exist to kind of reclaim and honor and reimagine what the international category looks like today. I love that. And when we when I deep dived into a bit about what you're doing in Oxtail, I was so interested because cuisine is one of my favourite things to talk about, yeah. especially international. Mm-hmm. So I'm so excited to dive deeper into that. But before we do, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, what did your parents do? Mm-hmm. And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? That's a really great question because my parents are like a huge part of who I am. Like I think very, very deeply. So, so um, like I said, my parents are, are refugees from Vietnam. Um, they came to the U.S. I mean, a story that you've probably heard many times is just like really hustled their way into a, like a, I guess like upward mobility, if you will. And um, like I deeply admire their journey. So my dad, he was a computer programmer, um, and he you know studied for many years and and kind of continued on and had a, had a great career in, in engineering, computer engineering. And then my mom was an accountant. So I guess like in terms of how their journeys impacted mine, I would say they at once both encouraged me like to be an entrepreneur, but also kind of dissuaded me. So, I mean, as parents, they've always encouraged me, but like their stories, I guess, kind of went both ways for me. So in terms of encouragement, I would say I grew up around their stories of, of almost like regret of like, I could have done more. I just was trying to survive and I, I made the safe decision. So, you know, my dad talked about how he wishes he could have been a movie director uh, or a lawyer, but, you know, computer engineering seemed like the safe kind of like route that would definitely get him a longer term career. And when you're trying to, you know, settle down in a country and, and establish yourself um, with nothing, like you really want to just take the safest route. And so I think hearing some of those regrets as I got older made me be like, you know, maybe I should take a leap. Maybe I should take a risk because, you know, that could lead to greater reward. So I think seeing some of their regrets gave me a bit of courage. But at the same time, I will say like growing up in a household where your parents um, were survivors, I think it's hard to become like a dreamer. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that mindset of like scarcity versus like thriving um, or abundance, like they're in conflict with one another. And I've been going through my own like personal, like, I guess, wrestling with like, you know, what is my mindset and how do I shift more to abundance? And um, that's, kind of like a personal journey that's very much informed by my parents' careers and their career choices. I find it so fascinating, Vanessa. I think that I love asking that question because I often find that our parents have such an influence on us, even if sometimes we don't want to admit it or we, you know, we want to kind of go, (laughs) no, 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 it was all me or, you know, making my own decisions. But talk to us. I want to dive a bit deeper into your early years. So Mm -hmm. as a child, did you create or did you mainly just kind of stay with kind of more the traditional things and kind of follow suit with your parents and yeah I would say when I was like a child I definitely loved creating and exploring I was like always somebody I was a kid that was like out and about in the forest like making um like forts and and kind of like imagining alternate universes or being out in the city and and running off in front of my parents and like kind of just like leaving them behind, not being scared. But I would definitely say as I got older and I became more aware of societal expectations and almost like an indebtedness to my parents of like of all the sacrifice and all the successes also that they've had, it made me want to build on that. And I felt it in a very deep way. And at the time, I think 
growing up probably from like mid elementary school all the way to after college, I was very much motivated by this desire to kind of do right by my parents because of their journeys. And so that to me, like the clearest way to do that was to make safe decisions that led to like clear outcomes that other people would view as successful. Um, And I think a lot of people struggle with that. I just felt it on a very deep level. Um, And so taking the leap to become an entrepreneur was like one of the craziest things I've ever done, especially given my background of like, you know, like the job, the jobs that I chose as internships and, um, you know, the school that I went to, I think all of it was decide was like my main deciding point was like what would make my parents most proud or what would like society view as like being an achievement such that my parents could feel proud. So I'm breaking free of that now. Also realizing that like my parents don't even ascribe to that. So <laughs> I think there's a, a lot to unpack um, kind of in the past couple of years in terms of like realizations I've had. Oh my goodness. I love this because I feel like so many of us go through this same thing. Totally. I mean, I was also, you know, my parents or my my mom is Australian, but Greek Australian, so she moved wow. back. And my dad is from Nigeria, and mm-hmm. so you know it's very, very, very much that we had nothing, and then we worked really hard, and we built this business, and and all of that. I think the only main difference is that they were entrepreneurial, also a little bit. You know, they mm-hmm. had their own business, so that's where that's come into play. But I feel definitely, a, I very much so resonate with what you're saying around wanting to make them proud because of all the sacrifice that yeah. they've gone through, and because you hear the stories of, you know, I had ten dollars in my bank account, and we were trying to figure oh, yeah. out what the next step was. <laughs> like I can't even imagine. Yeah, you know, and so I find that so interesting. So my question here is how can we learn to, I don't know if the word break free is right, but break free from those expectations that either society has put on us or we think our parents have? Yeah. I mean, I've, that's something I think a ton about and I've, I've definitely been like kind of going through that right now. I mean, I think the the first thing that I've done is just like step back from it all and ask yourself like, you know, what have I just made massive assumptions about in my life and, and in terms of like the criteria that I make my decisions on? There's When I started to unpack that, there were so many things that I was like, that doesn't even hold true. Like I would literally go and have conversations with my parents about it yeah. and be like, you know, I'm struggling with this. Like, and they would continue to prove me or my assumptions wrong in conversation. And those can be awkward sometimes or, um, you know, a little bit emotional, but it's like a very important, um, I think, thing to do to like, figure out what are you driven by? What are you motivated by at like, at the core of it, not at this like super high level, like, oh, I want to be successful, but like, what does that mean to you? Like, let's unpack that and then kind of explore that and see like, make decisions around it. What do you want to maintain? Like, I view that as my North Star and I want that to be my North Star versus this is actually something that I've just, has been ingrained in me from conversations with relatives or has been ingrained in me culturally, but I'd actually like, you know, I'd like to revisit that and and, and shift my, my, the way that I see that. Mm, So great. Such great advice. I think I'm just so excited for this conversation already because <laughs> I think that so many of us, there are going to be so many takeaways from this. Okay, so let's dive a bit more into that, the the traditional path that you went down before you dived into entrepreneurialism and started to really find out what drove you. So, I mean, you went to Harvard, mm-hmm. you know, considered one of the best schools in the world, the best school in the world, they say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what what motivated you, I guess, to 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 apply there and, and to go study there. And you, you did a B, Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and Economics. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about your Harvard experience. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I actually was not going to apply there initially because I was super 
first set on going into business. So um, when I was in high school, I did business competitions specifically. I This is like one of my nerdiest things. I was like a national champion around... Um, accounting applications. I <laughs> love it. Um, so that was something that I like, I knew I loved business. I had already been like doing some kind of competing in it. And so I only applied to schools that had business programs. And then my aunt, and so like some of those schools were like um, MIT, like Wharton, um, UC Berkeley. And then um, my aunt was like, you know, you need to apply to Harvard, like just, just throw in an application. She like begged me to. And so I was like, okay, yeah, like fine, I will. I mean, obviously like that would be cool too. <laughs> <laughs> I really did not think I was going to get in. And then, so ultimately when I got in, it was a really tough decision. Um, but after a couple of visits, the culture fit just seemed like MIT just seemed like, wow, I was really signing up for, for a couple of years of just like not seeing sunlight, <laughs> which is not true. That's a stereotype. Um, and Wharton just seemed like really competitive. And, um, I came from a public school, so I felt like the hyper competitive environment would be like really hard in addition to like competing against kids who had already been kind of more accustomed to like college education style teaching from like prep schools. So I was like the combination of that would just like kind of crush me. So, um, I think Harvard had like a, a better cultural fit for me. Um, Harvard for me was absolutely like transformative on so many levels. I mean, I think the first thing, like just like culturally in terms of um, like the people that I surrounded myself with and like the types of um, like, I guess life journeys that I had been exposed to was pretty like narrow when I was, I grew up in a town that was like pretty small. It was like middle to working class and it was like 98.5% white. So I grew up in like a very not diverse town. So like going to Harvard, like seeing people um, of all, like getting to know intimately people of all different backgrounds, um, socioeconomic status, race, all of it, like even internationally, it was just an incredible, beautiful experience. Um, but I think more importantly, I, I really had a, a journey about like, I think more in terms of articulating myself, like having a perspective, defending it, like having a dialogue about that. I didn't have that in high school. Like my high school was very, I was just like memorized and like tried to get fives on AP tests. Like that was my my jam. Um, and I had that down, but that's like a very different skill set than like looking inwards and like understanding like your opinion on things and like sharing that with others and taking in their perspectives and shifting your perspective a little bit. So I would say at Harvard, like liberal arts specifically, I learned so much on that front. Like I remember coming back even at the end of first semester to my house and having a dialogue with my dad and him being like, Oh my God, like he saw it in like one semester, just the way that I communicated. And like, he just really was like, he was blown away even just by that change. And I obviously didn't really realize that, but over time I I began to really appreciate that. Mm. What do you think having such different perspectives and and learning how to find your voice, what do you think that does to, I guess, yourself and your career moving forward? Mm, Yeah, I mean, I think what it enables you to do is drive more change and like more, more deeply affect the course of events for a company, for your company or a company that you work in, like professionally. Um, If you feel comfortable, like, you know, if you see, if you have an insight or you've identified an issue or you've identified a solution, I think you're much more likely to raise that and affect that trajectory than if you don't, you didn't feel comfortable or have experience articulating like what you believed or, or what you saw. And then this is something that like, I think that skill in and of itself is so, so valuable. I mean, I actually, right after I graduated and before I started my first job, I 
taught in Japan for five weeks. And it was a program like by the Japanese government that they, where they brought in students internationally to help Japanese high school students like hone that exact skill of like having this impetus, like I want to speak up and then feeling comfortable doing so and executing on that well. Like that was what we focused on. So we would just like facilitate dialogues on that. Um, And that was a super interesting experience as well, doing that internationally. But like, I I feel like that is something that carries over personally, professionally, um, and is is actually like also like very much informed by culture too, which Mm. is interesting. Mm. How do you think that's affected you personally? Mm. Um, Well, hmm. I mean, definitely in good and bad ways, (laughs) you know, like I I definitely am someone who has a lot of thoughts and opinions. Mm. Um, So I would say personally, I mean, for the most part, I think it's like deepened my relationships immensely. Like Mm. I am the type of person who like tries to bring a conversation to like a deeper level. Like if I could map out, I love thinking about this. If I meet with new people or friends and I map out the depth of our conversation, like if it goes like this, I know I'm going to like, jam with that person you know like if it's going deeper and deeper because we're both bringing it there I think that's a really beautiful thing and shows trust um so to that end yeah like I would say it's made me much more comfortable with like having introspective conversations with friends like being vulnerable Mm. um trying to be open and like leading the way with that and hoping that they'll they'll come with me Mm. oh my god I absolutely love this type of conversation (laughs) and this deep chat that we're having. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to dive into a bit more around how we become, your thoughts on how we can become more vulnerable. Mm. Yes. Well, I mean, my first high level thought is listen to Brene Brown. Yeah. She's amazing. <laughs> I quote her all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's, uh, she's incredible. Um, so that's the first very tactical thing. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I think it's honestly trial and error. And I think it's I'm a very evidence-based person. I think a lot of people are. And I think that if you try it a little bit, you'll see, and like you'll be rewarded by it. And you, it's just about kind of like taking the smallest bite, taking a little bit of bigger bite every time. And like, I, I have found personally that for every like 10 times I get rewarded, I get burned like once. Um, but you just have to be thoughtful about the people that you're vulnerable with, right? That's the, the filter that I apply. But after that, like I found it to be so valuable in terms of meeting people people that are actually like a good fit for me, like as friends, professionally, I think it's like led to me freeing myself of some of the fears or shame that I feel because I talk about it and put it out in the open with people. And like, once you start to do it, I really, I believe that it, it only becomes easier from there. Mm. It only becomes easier. I absolutely (laughs) love it. So Look, let's talk a bit more about those early kind of work experiences. You talked earlier about that idea that you just went down the safe path and Mm -hmm. you just wanted to make sure it was, you know, you got the security and all of that. Talk to us a little bit about that time there. Take us back into, you know, when you started at Bain and and the, the decision to start at Bain and all of that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, first thing I'd say is like, I literally have no regrets at all. I loved my time at Bain. Actually, the culture is incredible. It's a super supportive environment and I've taken the skill set with me and really ran with it. Um, but the, I guess what really what I was informed by was a couple of things. I mean, the most practical decision, like for me was like, what I was looking for and Bain just felt super practical. And it it certainly was because it's kind of this like crash course in different business skills because you, you know, you work in different industries, you work on different types of business problems and um, you get this like analytical skill set, but also this like kind of more like soft, um, soft skills around like 
communication and like relationship building with clients. So like you really get this like crash course. And so I was really excited by that idea of like, okay, I studied liberal arts. Like how do I supplement that with something that feels a little bit closer to business? Um, so that was the first thing. That's like why I was super interested in consulting. Um, and then also though, it is one of the most like coveted <laughs> jobs um, after undergrad. And I can't say that I wasn't colored by that, right? Like I, I definitely saw that as some kind of um, sign of merit. Mm. Um, and, it, and it was, it's deserving of that. But I definitely was like, oh, wow, it looks like everybody's going to, you know, all these recruiting events must be great. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, definitely, I would say while I was there, I, I, I saw firsthand how like critical it is to have a company that, it has, they, they do this wonderful, wonderful job of giving a lot of feedback in a way that feels so, um, minimizes how emotionally taxing that is Mm. for somebody. I'm very, very emotional. And so getting feedback at first was really hard. And like at Bain, you get feedback, like obviously more informally regularly, but like in a structured sense every single week. And that's like really, rare, I think, for people to carve out like 30 minutes to an hour of time. And also you get like coffee and snacks. You can go to like, you know, a coffee shop. It's like awesome. It's like a little treat. But that over time has given me so much more like, it's made me much more receptive to to feedback. And I think that's a super important skill to like be super honest with yourself and understand your strengths and weaknesses and, and be able to talk about them openly without having that emotional burden of like, I'm revealing something that I shouldn't. Like mm-hmm. in, instead of just viewing it as like objectively something that I'm, I'm working on as opposed to like this like deep, hidden, shameful um, weakness of yours that nobody can like under- see, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was really important for my time at Bain. Mm-hmm. How do we detach ourselves from emotion? Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I mean, one of the best ways for me, uh, especially professionally, is structure. So mm-hmm. giving people heads up that they're going to get mm-hmm. feedback and letting them mentally prepare for it I think is really important for people that are a little bit more susceptible to feeling defensive or emotional about feedback. So um, at Bain, it would be like, hey, you know, on Tuesday, we're going to get together for an hour and like talk about, you know, how things are going. And like when you're in a place where you're like, okay, like this is time for it versus like you're so focused on executing and then someone comes at you from left field Mm -hmm. being like, you need to do this better. It's so much harder to internalize that productively in a setting like that. So I think giving people heads up and then also like balancing it with the good and the bad Mm -hmm. is super important. And at Bain, they like, they definitely do a good job of that. And I'm, I mean, I'm trying to like incorporate that into my leadership style as well now that I'm off on my own. Mm. I find it so fascinating and I think that feedback has been, I mean, at least on my entrepreneurial journey, has been one of the most valuable things. That's why I'm asking these questions mm-hmm. about and I think I think it's like, you know, getting comfortable with looking at yourself, especially when you work for yourself or you're dealing with other people or you're the leader or whatever it is or in a corporate setting where you're, you're reporting to people, you know, and, and it, it's looking at yourself objectively, literally what you said, and kind of going – okay, it's not a bad thing that I am not so good at this or that I need to improve on this or that maybe I failed at this Mm -hmm. and actually going, you know, it's actually a great thing because from that I can learn and I can grow. But I I definitely did struggle at the start as well. I mean, getting comfortable with thinking I'm not that good at everything or, right. you know, or not that great at this thing or that thing. Um, but I think when you start to just get comfortable with being uncomfortable, it's, mm-hmm. it's really when the magic starts to happen. Absolutely. I love it. Okay, cool. So 
talk to us then a little bit about how the transition, the idea for Oxtail came about. And this is kind of what you're going through now, how that thinking around, do I stay on the safe traditional path or, you know, the path that's given me a lot of value, but I, you know, maybe I should take a leap. You know, talk to us a little bit about that idea there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, I, the funny thing is like, I had, I had always planned to kind of stay on the safe track. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to climb the corporate ladder. It's going to be great. Um, and my sister was the one who's my co-founder. Mm-hmm. She was the one who was, had always been so like excited by the idea of taking risk. Um, and so she had already, like she had already worked in startups. She had gone into VC to de-risk her own entrepreneurial journey. And I was kind of like still on my own path. And I think ultimately what kind of forced me to confront that, like, this isn't actually what I want to do, mm-hmm. even though this seemed like the safe thing to do, um, was was my ultimate longer term goal and, and staying anchored on that. And like really that goal is to become a thought leader in business, to increase representation of Asian women, Southeast Asian women, uh, to become a mentor to folks that look like me or are all P- like just POCs in general. Um, and then also to like be in that position of authority where I can kind of affect structures, remove barriers and clear pathways for other people. Like that for me is ultimately what I'm motivated by. And when I was, you know, like the most junior role at a corporate firm and I like kind of saw that journey to the top, it just felt really long and and not what would fulfill me personally when I imagined kind of kind of putting in that time and like grinding it out all those years. So I was like, there's got to be another way. And then it was like, dun, 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 <laughs> entrepreneurship. Um, and uh, yeah, so ultimately I was just like, what's going to accelerate my learning curve? What's going to like allow me to kind of have authority and control on something that I'm building. And ultimately that's why I decided to become a founder. I just didn't really see another way to do it on the timeline that I wanted, not to mention like there's so many things that I want to affect change on. And I wanted to build a company that could touch that too. And I think that is really scary. Like, I mean, there's no, no saying for sure whether or not, you know, you'll be successful in that depending on how you define or measure success. But um, I was like, if I can tr- take a stab at trying to create that, like that's what I want to do. Oh, I, I love this. I feel like you're so in touch with your values and what actually matters to you, Vanessa. It's Thank so amazing you. to see. How Thank can you. we get more in touch with our values and actually identify them? For me, I, I mean, there's so many ways you can do it. A lot of people do it through meditation or through life coaching or therapists or f- For me, it's always been conversation and it's always been the people I surround myself with. So I am very, very intentional about like the people I hold close to me. And these are people that have helped me understand myself better, have um, through conversation, through like, I like to uncover things about ourselves and myself and my motivations and my values out loud mm-hmm. um, for so many reasons. I mean, one, it's just way more fun to do it with with a person that you trust and you love and you respect intellectually and emotionally. Um, but I think beyond that, it's also like it holds you a little bit more accountable, right? Like I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be as honest as possible. You can't really del- delude your, you can delude yourself quite easily because it's just you and you and you, but with somebody else there who knows you so deeply, it's like much easier to, to like hold yourself to that standard, I think. Um, and I don't know. I just, I love, I love that. So like, I mean, most of my roommates that I've lived with, like if you talk to any of them, like they'll tell you like an average Wednesday was like 
us coming home from work at like, you know, 10, 9, 30, 10 or something. And then just like sitting and talking until like 1 a.m. Like, and we would do that multiple times a week. Just like what happened throughout our day? Why did we make those decisions? Like if we could revisit them, would we do it differently? Like, was it something that, you know, we grew up with or something that we experienced that informed that decision? Like unpacking everything out loud, I think is how I've like grown on this dimension, but like such a journey, like still so much more to learn and, and to understand about myself and the world around me. But I, I love doing it hand in hand with other people. Mm. I'm exactly the same. Yay, I can see that. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, I, I love that. And I think that I love the accountability part there because mm. I think so many times you can just go, oh, I want to do this or or maybe I could do that better and then we tell ourselves that and then, you know, when the time comes to do it again, maybe we don't go and do it because it's probably easier not to. Right, but, you right. know, when you've got that person going or those people going, how did that go? Or did you did you do better the next time? How did you feel about this? It's yes. just that accountability is everything. 100%. I love it. Oh, so great. Okay, so what have been, I want to dive a bit more into Oxtel. Mm-hmm. So Oxtel. So talk to us a little bit about the early challenges, getting the business off the ground. I know it's, you've started in August last year mm-hmm. and it's still co- coming to fruition. It's yes. still yet to launch. So talk to us a little bit, little bit about those early challenges. For sure. I mean, I would say the first thing is like, actually nailing down what it is that this company is doing. Like we, we started with a mission. That's the thing. So my sister and I, we quit our jobs on a mission and broadly that the highest level that was to drive empathy across cultures with food as the vehicle for that, because food is such like this incredible reflection of narratives and culture and history. It's such a beautiful way to kind of start that dialogue. And I think it's something that's like much needed in this world today in this country in, in particular. And so that's what we like set out to do, but like that can look like a million things, right? So like, what is that thing that looks, you know, both one actually does justice to that mission, but then two um, is also viable as a business. So I would say that was like our, our first challenge out of the gates. So what we actually did was interview like 250 people to just understand like what is the current state of like non-Western cuisines in America today. So we wanted to understand what's most challenging about it. Um, You know, what is most important to them when it comes to global or non-Western cuisines. And that's really how we kind of like anchored on the business today. Um, So yeah, whenever we like kind of run into some of the, the challenges around the business, we just like try to come up with data for it and like have that help inform our path forward. And we've done that multiple times with like kind of different research. And that's what we've been focused on to date. And then obviously we're launching in the fall. Um, and so building up for that launch. And then also we've done a little bit of fundraising as well. So that's kind of been the journey so far, but like a lot of research. So we ran a beta with like um, 500 paid users and yeah. So it's been, it's been quite the journey, but like one where we've done a ton of testing. Mm. Yeah. So valuable. Talk to us a little bit about the business model. Yeah. What is it that you guys do? Yeah. So, you know, like, as I said, we're the first by the community for the community, modern Asian food brand. Um, So let me unpack that because, you know, that's a pretty high level. So on the by the community side, um, when we spoke to those 250 consumers, we asked them what's most important to you when it comes to cooking global. And we kept hearing this term, you know, authenticity. I really want authentic food. I want it to be, you know, I kept hearing that again and again. And we pushed them. We said, like, what do you 
you, what do you even mean by that? What does that look like to you? And ultimately what we heard is that folks want to see people of these backgrounds contributing to the development of the products. Like they want to know that those people are behind the product. They, they vouch for it and maybe they're even profiting off of it. Mm. Um, and so to that end, Oxtail, what we do is for every cuisine that we represent in our product line, we have a chef of that background who's like revered in that community and, and more broadly even. Um, these are folks that have like James Beard nominations, like all kinds of like accolades, but really just like know this cuisine inside out. So they work with us to create the products. So we like want to have like representation. We want to like honor the communities that we have kind of represented in our line. Um, and then on the, for the community side, what we've seen is that a lot of the brands that sit in mainstream retailers, they kind of try to speak to like a super broad audience and often like kind of non-Asian. So we're starting with Asian cuisine specifically. And I think that what that leads to is like brands that don't have a ton of credibility mm-hmm. and they also kind of lack like strong brand stories. Um, and so we're actually initially focusing on an audience of early adopt, like our early adopter audience is, is Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. It's like a super powerful, but underserved audience. Like obviously I'm part of that audience. So I, I intimately feel that um, because we're just like, we want your approval. Like we want you to be like, this is actually delicious. And like, this is something my mom would be proud of, yeah. um, which I think is like kind of lacking right now in this category in grocery. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so excited to see this when it comes to life. You've done so much testing. You've done so much in-depth thought. It's so amazing to see. Thank you. What what advice would you give to some of our peers out there listening who, you know, potentially they've started something or they want to start something of their own and they're just not too sure what first step to take? Mm. What advice would you give? Yeah. So, I mean, I would definitely say intimately understand the problem that you're solving Um, who, you know, whose problem is it? How severe is this problem? What does it look like? Like what's challenging? Can you articulate all the obstacles that they're facing in that problem? And like, how are you like a, how is that problem? First of all, super like important for them. Like not just like a kind of like inconvenience. Is it like a hair on fire problem is how I say it. And then beyond that, I guess, like, how are you that like 10 X better solution for that problem? Like, I, I think before I had that really nailed down, I had less conviction about what I was doing. Like whether it's super important for your business, it's super important for you. If you're a person that like at all, like, you know, sometimes questions yourself, um, you know, which you know I do, I think like before I like could intimately understand and, and imagine like whose problem I was solving, what that felt like, what currents like kind of band-aids they were patching on the problem. Like I, I struggled more with like moving forward on the business. And now that I know exactly kind of all those things, I can describe them to a T and I intimately feel them, that, that leaves me with so much conviction and like so much energy to solve that problem. I, I could not agree more. I think that when you start something, especially when it's something different or you've come from a traditional path or mm-hmm. you just kind of, you know, we're young and, and, you know, it's like, who are we to be doing this, that yeah. kind of thing. I think there's just nothing more valuable than actually feeling really confident about what you're doing and mm-hmm. to feel confident, you need to know exactly what the deal is and, and yes. what the problem is you're solving or who the people are you're serving, you know, and I think that's just, it's just so true what you're saying. I love that. Okay, so... Vanessa, it's we've had an absolute ball. I'm so excited to see where Oxtel, you know, takes you and and what happens next. And I just want to firstly take a moment, you know, as we come to the close of today's episode to acknowledge you. 
Thank you. For, you know, just for taking the leap, for standing up for what you believe in and for putting your hand up and going, you know what, I'm going to solve this issue and I'm going to solve this problem and I'm going to rid myself of the fear of, you know, of being scared of, of taking the leap and doing something different. So we really appreciate you for oh, that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That means a lot. I mean, it's, it's an everyday journey. Like it's, it's happening right now. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I so appreciate that. And I, I love what you guys are doing here. I think it's so cool to, to share these stories and, and show like, you know, the, the glory of it, which is often what we see on like, you know, a lot of media today, but also like the, the internal work that has to be done. And um, so I, I love that. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Oh my goodness. We love talking about the internal work of the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we live for. Hashtag real talk. <laughs> I love it. So the final question for today uh-huh. is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers Project. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? That's a great question. So, you know, I believe that the value of that comes down to, it comes down to the energy that you you carry with you every single day and you bring into every room. When you are putting your time and your efforts towards something that you deeply care about, I think it's a different like way of living altogether. Um, for me, the way I describe it is just like a very solid existence where like your passions and your energy and, and your thoughts all kind of come together into one kind of common common theme. I think that's like a very powerful way to like exist in this world. And um, when I've started to do that, I feel like the the energy and the enthusiasm uh, that I bring into conversations with people um, is something that people have like commented on and shared it and said, like responded positively to. Um, so I think it's a super valuable thing. I don't know that that, you know, is possible for everyone or I'm still figuring out if it's possible for me, but as I've like kind of come into that and started to, to try it on my own, I've really felt, um, I, I felt more solid as a person and, and more true to myself. I love it. Vanessa, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) we're so excited to have had you on the show. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Yeah, absolutely. So um, definitely check us out uh, online. So our website is live right now, but we're, it's definitely going to be updated in the coming weeks with, as we get closer to launch. Um, So our website is oxtail.co, O-X-T-A-L-E.co. So it's spelled a little bit differently. Um, Or you can follow us on Instagram at oxtailco. um, Or you can follow me on my, on my personal journey at Vanessa T. Pham and last name spelled P-H-A-M. Love it. We'll link those up in the show notes. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. 
Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.